1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then head on to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I might want to keep that Bible passage open and let me pray before we look at it. In Christ all will be made alive. Jesus Christ, today, on this day when we celebrate that you are alive, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would help each one of us to know and experience more of what it means that in you we will be made alive also. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we uh, gather like this on Easter Day morning, Amongst us all, there'll be all sorts of different emotions. Some of us will just sort of be on a happy high, uh, having been uh, on a sort of chocolate egg-induced adrenaline rush since breakfast. Uh, That is fine. But if you take that away, underneath it all, amongst us, there'll be all sorts of different emotions here. Some of us will be here and uh, life will be good at the moment. All will be going well. But for others of us here at the moment, if we're honest, deep down, life is a struggle at the moment, and for all sorts of different reasons. Amongst us all, there'll be all sorts of emotions. And if you like, it was similar on that very first Easter morning, if you can try and sort of picture in your mind's eye that first Easter day morning right at the start. All sorts of different characters experiencing all sorts of different emotions at the start of the day. Think of the the Roman soldiers put there to guard the tomb, Jesus' tomb. They'd have been exhausted by Sunday morning and they'd have been bored out of their brains expecting absolutely nothing to happen at all. Then think of the women. The women who were distraught, who were saddened. They're in their homes and they're preparing these spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' dead body. And then the 11 disciples. We're told that they are hiding in a locked room. They're hiding behind locked doors. The the women were far braver than the men that first Easter Sunday. They're hiding and they are fearful that the same fate might befall them that has befallen Jesus. So on that first Easter day morning, there are all sorts of different emotions at the start of that day. And then what happened that morning, it quite simply, it changed everything, didn't it? It was, if you like, it was the greatest comeback ever. The greatest comeback ever. 
There have been quite a few comebacks in the uh, public eye just this last week. I mean, politically, Nigel Farage has uh, come back yet again with the launch of his Brexit party, apparently polling higher than the Conservatives and Labour for the forthcoming European Parliament elections, if they happen. In sport, in golf, uh, go back to last weekend, Tiger Woods winning the Masters. It was written about in the Times, this was the greatest sporting comeback ever, said the Times writer. Tiger Woods, 11 years after last winning a Majors golf tournament, and with those intervening 11 years, including a moral, mental, physical disintegration, which led him to falling outside of the world's top 1,000 golfers. And then last weekend at Augusta, he was back. Perhaps less well publicized this last week in the area of sport, but I think probably even more a greater comebacker. I don't know if you spotted it, Tara Moore. She's number, I think, six or number seven in female uh, British tennis players. She was playing in a tournament, I think it was the third round. She lost the first set, six love. Uh, She was five love down in the second set. She was 30-40 down as she was serving, so it was match point against her. And from that moment, she not only recovered to win that game, she went on to win that set in the tiebreak, and then eventually she won the whole match. Love six, seven six, six three. Quite a comeback, I would think you'd agree. Incredible. Another comeback has been spoken about for the future with the desperately tragic fire in Notre Dame Cathedral. President Macron has been announcing the comeback of all comebacks for the cathedral. Within five years, he says, it'll be an even more beautiful building than it once was. So all sorts of comebacks are in our mind, but actually none of them are a patch on Jesus' comeback. The one who was dead came back to life. That is the ultimate comeback, and that is the reason you and I, we can be full of joy this Easter. However we might be feeling, we can deep down be full of joy. Now, undoubtedly, amongst us here this morning, there'll be people here and go, yeah, but hang on a moment. Jesus' resurrection is just a nice idea. It's a fairy tale. It's a myth. It's something to keep the masses happy. It wasn't actually a physical resurrection. It didn't really happen. It didn't, he didn't really come back. Personally, that was my view as a 17-year-old. And so if you are thinking that, just for a moment, I'd love just to encourage you this Easter to look at the evidence afresh. I'd love just to very quickly just give you three Fs to think about this Easter time. The first one is fulfillment. Fulfillment. I wonder if you could look at verses 3 and 4 um, in that ch- uh, chapter, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and just look at the phrase that Paul, who's writing this letter to these Corinthian Christians, just look at the phrase he repeats in verses 3 and 4. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He says the scriptures, the the Old Testament, it predicted a Messiah would come who would rise from the dead. And Jesus, before he went to the cross, he said again and again that he would die and then three days later he would rise from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ, he was fulfilling what the scriptures had foretold. And that's quite an amazing thing to be able to do. Second block of evidence is very simply the facts. Look at the facts in verses 3 and 4. Paul's very matter of fact. He says Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus was raised on the third day. The facts are compelling. Jesus really did die. It wasn't sort of a pretend death. The facts are compelling. The tomb really was empty. Nobody ever said, oh, look, here's Jesus' dead body. And then the third block of evidence, you've got the fulfillment, the facts, and you've also got the followers. 
Paul lists them from verse 5 onwards, the whole list of them. Cephas, that's Peter. Then the 12, then 500, then James, then the apostles. Last of all, says Paul, me too. And he says many of these people that he lists, many of them are still living when Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians just 20 years after Jesus has risen from the dead. Paul's saying, go and ask them. If you don't believe me, ask them. Over 500 of them, there's still many of them still living. Go and ask them. Are they telling the truth or are they telling a big porky pie? You work it out. And I've got to say personally, for me, age 17, if there was one thing that changed me to become someone who believed that Jesus Christ is God, if there's one thing that changed me above all, it was this. It was the transformation and the testimony of these first followers of Jesus. They were transformed from those people being quivering wrecks, hiding behind those locked doors, and suddenly they were out there, they were boldly proclaiming that this Jesus Christ, he had risen from the dead. How come that massive transformation? And so many of them, those first disciples, they were prepared to face suffering, torture, persecution, even death for their belief that Jesus had risen from the dead. Would they really have been prepared to go to their death for something that they knew was not true, if they hadn't actually met face-to-face the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope you can see that the Easter day, Jesus' resurrection, why can we be full of joy because of it? Because it is the greatest comeback ever. But that's not all. We can also be full of joy this Easter because Jesus' resurrection, it is the greatest victory ever. There's a famous theologian called Leslie Newbegin, and he wrote this. He said this. He said, The resurrection is the revelation to chosen witnesses of the fact that Jesus, who died on the cross, is indeed king. He's conqueror of death and sin, Lord and Savior of all. The resurrection, it is not the reversal of a defeat, but the proclamation of a victory. The king, he reigns from the tree. You see there, if you look at the middle of that quote, he talks about death and he talks about sin. He says they are the two biggest challenges in our world. We know that. Sin spoils things. Sin spoils our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with God. And death, it is the final outworking of that. Now look at verse 17, if you would. Look at verse 17 and what Paul writes. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. But Paul goes on to argue. He says, because Jesus Christ, because he really, truly, physically has risen from the dead, that's why when you get to the end of this chapter, if you just look across the page to verse 55, you'll see it. It's that sort of poetic bit where it's indented. Verse 55, this is the conclusion of his whole chapter. He says, verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The late uh, David Watson, he, he was a famous preacher, and he'd often tell the story of when one of his daughters was little, sort of age six or seven, and she was playing in their garden at home, and then suddenly a bumblebee started chasing her. And so she cried out, Dad, come and help me, Dad, help me, as she was being chased by this bumblebee. And so David Watson went out into the garden. He ran to his daughter. He put his arms around her, 
And she felt his body go tense. And then he let go. And he said, darling, you don't need to worry anymore. The bee has stung me. And bees cannot sting twice. You and I. You and I, we deserve to face the sting of death. We deserve to face the sting of God's judgment because of our sin, because of our turning our backs on God. But it was as if, as Jesus Christ, as he died on that cross, it was as if Jesus, he wrapped his arms around you. He wrapped his arms around me. And he took that sting of death for us in our place as he died on the cross. He did that so that we not need not face the sting of death. And that is why this Easter, you and I can be full of joy. We can be full of joy because Jesus' resurrection, it proclaims that the victory on the cross over sin and death, it has taken place. It is effective. This King, Jesus, he reigns from the tree. So we can be full of joy. Full of joy this Easter because Jesus' resurrection, it's the greatest comeback ever. It's the greatest victory ever. And it is also the greatest hope ever. The greatest hope ever. Look at verse 19, if you would. Verse 19, Paul writes, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying that if you or I, if we are trusting in Jesus Christ, our hope, it is not just for this life, but our hope is for eternity too. Death, it is no longer the ultimate fear because Jesus Christ, he has defeated death. Because Jesus himself got through death, you and I, if we are connected to Jesus, we can trust and we can have a certain hope that he will get us through death when it comes to. You know, for the Christians in Sri Lanka who are caught up in the senseless and evil attacks on various churches and hotels this morning, that is the hope that they can cling to. Or closer to home, just a few days ago, uh, someone I know who's, who's a vicar near here, he received the tragic, tragic news that his daughter, who was in her 20s, married to her husband just two years ago, that they died in a tragic accident in Greece. Their, their dune buggy falling down a 2,000-meter cliff. You may have seen it. It was, it was all in the news a couple of days ago. Toby and Millie Saville, people who lived around here. But people also who had put their trust in Jesus Christ. And this is what one of their parents wrote about them just in the last few days since they died. They wrote this. Our loss of Toby and Millie is something that will take a lifetime to come to terms with. But we are confident of the joy that they're experiencing right now with Christ. We continue to grieve But we will never lose sight of this certain hope. I ask you this morning, do you know that certain hope? A hope that is certain even in the midst of grief and sadness and pain. 
Because ultimately, every single person in this world, we are all crying out for an eternal hope. All of us are. If you strip back all the ways we try and avoid death, we try and evade death, we try and intellectualize it away, all of us, we are crying out for an assurance that lasts beyond death. An assurance that we want to be real. And in Jesus Christ, Jesus who promises an eternity where there is no more mourning or suffering or crying or pain or death. And this is a promise from someone who himself, he has actually defeated death. In Jesus, that is the only place that this certain hope can be found. That's why we can be full of joy this morning, this Easter time, whatever our circumstances. Because Jesus' resurrection gives us the greatest hope ever. And then finally, Easter too, it provides us with the greatest choice ever. I wonder if you remember what um, the angels said to those first disciples later in the morning on that Easter day morning. Uh, as they, uh, they were there at the tomb, the angels said these words to the first disciples. They said this. They said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? They're saying, what are you doing, disciples? What are you doing roaming around graveyards and tombs? You're in the wrong place. The tomb's old news. Jesus Christ is alive today. You're looking in the wrong place. And all too often, if we're honest, me and you, we do exactly the same thing. We are looking in the wrong place. We're looking for things that are inherently dead to give us life. Verse 22 says, it is in Christ that all will be made alive. And you know, some of us this Easter time, we know that we have drifted in our faith. That we've been looking to the wrong things to give us life, to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to give us forgiveness, to give us hope for this life and for eternity. We've been looking in the wrong place. And others of us here will know that actually, if we're honest, we've never ever trusted in the risen King Jesus. That we have always been looking for things that are inherently dead to give us life. Just as I close, I'd love you just to look at the first two verses of this chapter. Just verses one and two. This is what Paul says. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And so this Easter, this Easter for each one of us here, whether it is holding firmly to this gospel, this, this joyous good news of a risen King Jesus who's victorious over sin and over death, who brings hope for now and for eternity, whether it is holding firmly to this message once again, Or whether for some here it is holding firmly to this message, this joyous message for the very first time. Can I encourage you this Easter day, 2019, that there is no greater choice 
that you and I can make today than to choose to hold firmly to the good news of the risen King Jesus.